Hope's Harbor, Gritty Bible Devotions by David Bradley. The Heart and Mind of Jesus. Do I Believe? Lesson 4, The Inevitable Outcome of Unbelief. The key verse is Luke 4.22. And all bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? I want to talk to you today about the sin of unbelief, and it's a sin that is commonly overlooked by most of us. And one reason for this is unbelief is very subtle. It's not a surface issue, and it's part and parcel of the normal veil covering the minds of even God's people. But listen, unbelief is a heinous sin. Its inevitable outcome is to throw Jesus off a cliff of rejection and indifference. Our lesson point is the outcome and cost of unbelief. What you will do and how you will pay. You know how it said nothing's free? Well, it's true. Even when something is offered free, like salvation, what is offered costs someone something, and then they choose to give it away, like God did with the offer to forgive us. To become God's child through a new spiritual birth cost us nothing, but it cost God his son. It cost Jesus his life. And the way he paid was through horrific suffering on our behalf. And considering all that God paid, all that Jesus paid, all the Holy Spirit paid, yes, he was at the cross too. And considering the cost for freedom, Our freedom reveals why unbelief is so hateful to God. And as far as I can tell from studying unbelief, it has at its core the statement to God that after all he did for us, all he ever did is not enough. And how this relates to the lesson is found in Luke 4.18, verses 18 through 22. From this passage, we'll see first the doubt of those involved and then the outcome of their unbelief. Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So let's stop and consider something. What did Jesus say so far? He told those in that synagogue and he tells us today through his written word, that he came to do a marvelous work of redemption for the human race. And it especially applies to every person who chooses to believe this and places their faith in the work that Jesus did ultimately on the cross. And so continuing with Luke 4, we see that Jesus read that he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, And all bore witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Now listen to that last sentence when they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? In Mark 6, 3, informs us further that the people there ask, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? 
And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, this is the doubt. Let me add a little voice inflection for you and give a scenario of my own making, as if I were there listening in to the conversation. Isn't this Joseph's boy? And it's said with scorn and doubt. Yeah, that's Jesus. Who does he think he is reading scripture with authority like that? He's that laborer's son, you know, the uneducated one who played hooky in Jerusalem that year during Passover. Oh, you didn't hear about that? Well, it was when he was 12, I think, and he stayed behind when everyone left Jerusalem to come home. His poor mother had to travel back a full day and look for him. And then it took three days before they found him. And where do you think he was? At the temple, talking to the scribes like he was something special. You see, it was obvious even back then something was wrong with him. And what did his parents do about it? Nothing. Okay, the event at Passover when Jesus stayed behind is found in Luke 241 through 49. And I want to read through that passage now. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when his parents saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you dealt this way with us? Look. Your father and I have sought you sorrowing. Verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And now coming back to the synagogue there in Nazareth, I find it funny imagining what those in the synagogue that day must have been thinking and saying among themselves as they doubted and asked if Jesus wasn't Joseph's son. But what their doubt led to was not funny. You see, Jesus confronted their doubt and compared them to being less than Gentiles when it came to being worthy of God's blessings. I don't know what enraged the crowd more, being compared to Gentiles or Jesus inferring that they were spiritually bankrupt. Regardless, they forced him to the edge of a nearby cliff to push him off. Luke 4.29 And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. So their unbelief led them to try and kill Jesus. That's the outcome. And what did this unbelief cost them? I want to read from Matthew thirteen fifty-eight now. And the Bible says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And then in Mark 6, 5, and 6, it reveals the cost of their unbelief. And he could do there no mighty work, except that he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. That's the cost. These accounts let us know Jesus was in Nazareth to do mighty work. But unbelief among those he came to serve prohibited the Son of God, because without faith it is impossible to please him. 
That's taken from Hebrews 11.6. Now, in order to confront the sin of unbelief, it helps to know what it looks like and where does it come from. Here are three ways unbelief hides itself. Skepticism, expressed as, I doubt it. Cynicism, expressed as, yeah, right. And sarcasm. (laughs) Well, never mind. I don't need to explain that one. John the Baptizer explained his view of the unbelief surrounding Jesus, and it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 32 through 36. The Bible tells us, In what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no man receives his testimony. He that has received his testimony has set his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. But the Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. But Jesus knew his own disciples doubted him, and when they did express belief, he let them know their claim would be tested. Listen to John sixteen thirty through 32 The disciples are talking among themselves. Now we're sure that you know all things and need not that any man should ask you. By this we believe you came forth from God. Verse 31, And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes, and yes, is now come, that you shall scatter every man to his own and shall leave me alone. You see, unbelief led those men closest to Jesus to abandon him in his hour of need. The lack of sincere faith in anyone professing to be a Christian is seen by how they talk and act. They are normally stuck in their growth as disciples of the Lord. All growth is slow, I can tell you, after decades of it. But what I mean is those Christians are stuck, and it's all because of unbelief. Even when they grow in Bible knowledge, they don't grow spiritually because they don't believe enough in it. They don't have enough faith to apply it. I know this because at one time I was that kind of man. Now, next week, we'll look closer at how unbelief plays itself out in a Christian's life and what we can do about ridding ourselves of it as much as possible. So the action to consider, I want to ask, will you do something for me? This week, will you examine your belief system? And ask yourself in what areas you doubt God. Ask God in what areas you doubt Him. And then hang on. Next week's episode, Beyond Belief. You've been listening to Hope's Harbor, gritty Bible devotions by David Bradley. To get show notes, visit hopesharbor.net.